0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the
1: Arkansas AgCast for May 13th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we talk Arkansas weather with KATV meteorologist Todd Jacobian, and we learn about the next stage of construction on the Grand Prairie Irrigation District. We also hear about the long relationship between the Arkansas Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Committee and the Ronald McDonald House Charities. First up, Steve Powell talks with meteorologist Todd Jacobian of Little Rock TV station KATV. The two discuss the wild weather swing so far in 2021 and what farmers, ranchers, and everyone around the state can expect this summer.
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Powell with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And on this portion of the AgCast, we're going to take a deep dive into the weather with a meteorologist many of you may be familiar with. And maybe even follow him on social media, watch him on television. Meteorologists in general are some of the most dedicated professionals you want to meet anywhere. This guy is a pro's pro, in my opinion, and Arkansas is lucky to have him, and we're lucky to have KATV's Todd Jacobian on the AgCast. Todd, welcome.
3: Thank you very much, Steve, and it's a a pleasure and an honor to be a part of this first podcast of yours, and I think (laughs) the intro was a little over the top. Uh, I appreciate
2: it. Well, I wanted you to know how much I thought of you. And full disclosure, Todd and I worked together for years. We are friends. And I can tell you, he's as good a person as he is a meteorologist. That's the last bit of flattery I'm going to give you. Because we're here to talk <laughs> about the weather. And I, I we can pick a lot of adjectives to describe 2021 and the weather. But let's, let's go with bewildering. How about that one? All right. It has been quite a year. Let's tell me. Put it in some sort of perspective for us. What this year has been like?
3: Well, I, didn't, I don't have to. I mean, everybody knows the February was just. It was. I can't even put words to it, Steve. Yeah. It was just. It was jaw dropping. I remember sitting on my couch, looking at the computer models and laughing like, "There's no way that's going to happen. There's no way." And then, but it just kept showing. It kept showing it. But the extreme that we had in February was one quite possibly a once-in-a-lifetime cold snap. Mm-hmm. Let me put it to you this way. The outlook for last winter was for slightly above normal temperatures and near-average rainfall, I believe. That was, the, that was the outlook for last winter. And then we got to February, and it only took two weeks to completely blow that forecast out of the water. Just two weeks out of the entire winter blew it out of the water. And then after that two-week stretch of cold weather – We popped up towards the 80s and had severe weather. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a whiplash, but you know what? That's Arkansas. But this year, uh, at least the beginning of it, was a little harder whiplash than usual.
2: Boy, it sure was. I'm I'm looking at the temperatures. This is I just pulled up from February 16th. uh, Between minus 20 and minus 10 in Fayetteville, minus six in Harrison, minus six in Clarksville, minus two Little Rock. Minus three, paragolds. I mean, those are staggering numbers that I know you thought you'd never see. I know you worked in Montana once upon a time, didn't you?
3: I, I did work there. That was the first job of my career. And, uh, yeah, it was the coldest I got to there. It was 24 degrees below zero. But I'll tell you this. I went skiing in Montana in early January. Mm-hmm. I saw more snow in Little Rock this winter than I did fall in Montana.
2: Unbelievable.
3: So it was. it was a – Like I said, I couldn't believe what I was seeing on the computer models, and I saw one of the computer models was showing 27 inches of snow for Little Rock, and I looked at my wife. I said, I can't go on the air and say 27 inches of snow. They're going to laugh at me.
2: Right, right.
3: Uh, I mean, that's almost what happened.
2: Absolutely, and I know a lot of people were in in denial that this was going to happen, but boy, oh boy, did it. Yeah, it
3: was uh, something else that that air was discharged straight from Siberia over the poles and came directly down through the plains. And boy, did it hit Texas the hardest, obviously, but we we got nailed pretty good.
2: Yeah, we did. And then, uh, you know, the cold weather has is the gift that just keeps on giving, unfortunately, from an ag perspective. We got into uh, mid to late April and we had a very late freeze, which was very uh, unfortunate for a lot of our fruit growers, peaches, blackberries and those those folks, uh, is that abnormally late for a freeze in Arkansas?
3: That is. It's very late, and especially when everything's blooming. Uh, you get everything opening up, and you had some uh, mild weather prior, and uh, it's, it's devastating. I think back of, uh, I want to say, and don't quote me on this, but I think it was 2007 we had a similar um, freeze right around Easter yeah. that was devastating to the fruit growers. So, I mean, this happens in Arkansas, and it's part of the challenges of farming, uh it's it's obvious it's the biggest challenge mother nature i i don't know i've never farmed but i i would imagine you know you had the hurricanes that came through arkansas last year right. that uh had wind and rain right right as the harvest was beginning especially for rice uh and then you have this cold and you had the late season freeze i mean it's it's the weather it can be your best friend and could be your worst right. enemy this year has not been good
2: well, Todd, I know you've never farmed, but, but I can tell you, and I know you already know this, that the farmers and ranchers in Arkansas are some of the most resilient, hardworking people anyway, and they can adapt to almost anything mother nature throws at them. But this has been something else. And you know, when, when the weather is really uh, all important to you as it is in agriculture, you know, you're constantly trying to look around corners to see what the weather, what the weather may hold. Cause literally it's a life and death situation with the things that we grow and we raise, uh, so we're always trying to, to look out as far as we can look out. And I want to talk, if you will, about some of the tools you have at your disposal. And you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I would suspect that if you took a, a meteorologist of a generation to go and you took him down to the National Weather Service or into the KATV Weather Center, they would have a hard time getting started, understanding the tools that you have now. Is that right?
3: Yes. Just since I started in my career, as you said, in Montana, when I started my career in Montana, I had, we had one computer in the TV station that had uh, access to the internet, if that tells you anything. Yeah. Uh, and now the amount of information and tools that we have now in 2021 with the the computers, the technology, the computer modeling that we have, it's to the point, Steve, where it's information overload. You yeah. can look at too much when, when we, I like to use the, you know, the, the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, And you have to constantly remind yourself of that and pull yourself back and say, wait a second, what makes sense here? Because, yes, we have all these things at our disposal now, but it's you you can use it and look at stuff all day long until your eyes are crossed. Right. And then you just got to say, you know, what should happen, uh, given what we're looking at? And it's Arkansas. You go back to your experience and you go back to what I like to look at, analog forecasting where what we do is we look at the conditions of the atmosphere. Now, the temperatures, the precipitation, the ocean temperatures, and we look at what it looks like now, you know, May of 2021, and compare it to years past. Hmm. Uh, As long as that data has been around, you know, and and we try to look at its conditions are similar to this. So how do we go forward from here forecasting what's going to happen? Yeah.
2: And, And so how far out, how comfortable are you predicting, uh, general trends in the weather, say for the summer?
3: Well, that's a great question. Um, When you're looking at specific forecasts, I feel comfortable with five days. When you're looking at trends, I'm comfortable with 10 days, with trends past, you know, between five and 10 days, I can see trends. Uh, When you're talking about seasonal, what I like to call outlooks, Mm -hmm. not necessarily forecasts, Uh, (laughs) because you can't forecast a specific number for July the 23rd. You can't do that. Uh, But, you know, an outlook as to how things may look, that's one of the most challenging things in our business. And I like to read a lot. There there are meteorologists who uh, specialize in this stuff, and I've tried to learn from them and and do my own long-range forecasting. I've been working a lot with our meteorologist James Bryant about what we're going to see this summer. But in the backdrop, remember what I said about what happened in winter, where it was supposed to be a little bit above average, normal rainfall and all that. And that was a good forecast until February hit, and all it took was two weeks, and it was just obliterated. And it was one of the coldest winters we've had, coldest February we had. So you can look at a three-month period, what we call meteorological summer, June, July, August. That's meteorological summer, that's what we look at for the the summer temperatures and the summer precipitation. And we try to outlook what's going to happen. And I can't give specifics, but I see trends developing. And I bet you want to know what
2: they are. I absolutely want to know what you know.
3: Well, (laughs) no, you don't. Uh, But in in terms of the weather, maybe so. Um, (laughs) The the trends that we're seeing in in the forecast, first of all, it's very complicated. Uh, And I was looking a lot at um, 2011, because I told you I like to analog and look at past years and see how things were stack up this year compared to years past. And I looked at 2011 because that was a La Nina year, yeah. first year La Nina, and we're we're talking about the cooling of the equatorial Pacific.
2: Yeah, br- br- um, explain that real quickly for folks. There's La Nina and El El Nina. Is that correct? Or yes, like, okay. There's
3: El Nino, La Nina, and then what I like to call La Nothing, uh, <laughs> where they're, where there the the, the temperature is neutral. Uh, and it, so it's neither abnormally warm or abnormally cold. So we look at that, and it's not the end all be all of forecasting, but it kind of is your starting point as to what you start there and then branch out. And, and uh, it's like a flow chart almost. Right. What it's going to look like. So we had this past winter a La Nina. Remember, La Ninas are known for extremes. And we saw that in February. We were yeah. in a La Nina. Uh, so it's, it's known for extremes and the temperatures out there are are very similar to what we saw in 2011. Well, let's look back at 2011, what happened in Arkansas. We had a terrible severe weather season, Mm -hmm. one of the worst severe weather seasons in history. And then we had the hottest summer. Well, I mean, you look at this, it's, it's the middle of May and our severe weather season. It's been active, but nothing like 2011, absolutely nothing like it. So that kind of gets thrown out now. It's like 2011. Can we really go by that now?
2: Yeah. So you're looking but, for a match maybe. Right. I mean, it's, at exactly, some point. it's like a
3: match game. Yeah. And, and you won't find a perfect match, but you'll find similarities. Mm-hmm. And so this is what meteorologist James Bryant and I do because we're weather geeks and <laughs> we go back. Oh, look at this year. Look at that year. Um, we've been looking a lot at 1999 and 2008. So we're looking at what happened in those summers. Uh and, and try to compare them to what's happened in the, the state of the atmosphere now and how Arkansas has fared so far this year. And what we see developing right now is uh, a continuation of uh, average temperatures, maybe a little below average. We get into summer and it, it starts to warm up as we typically do. It's always a question of, it's going to get hot, it's just a matter of how hot. But we just don't see the extreme heat until maybe mid to late summer. Okay. And there's a chance at that point that when we go back and look at those years in 99 and 2008, there's a chance that mid to late summer, that's when we see the, the core of the summer temperatures get the hottest and probably triple digit heat. If we're going to get drought conditions, it's going to be at that point. Uh, but it, it may be slow to evolve to get there, which I hope we never do. But you look at the law of averages, too. We, we haven't hit 100 degrees in the metro for two years back to back.
2: Wow, and I that's didn't realize it. that.
3: Yeah, very mm-hmm. rare. So I, th- I thought, well, what are the chances of back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, three consecutive summers? Well, the chance, obviously, of that is very low, but it has happened before mm-hmm. back in 1948, 1949, and 1950 that happened. So there's precedence for that. I find it hard to believe something like that um, would would happen nowadays, but it's, it's possible. But I, if we get heat, I would expect heat and drought conditions mid-to-late summer, but the one thing to watch – we're going to have an, another active tropical season. Yeah. And that gets cranking in August and September. And if we get the remnants of a tropical system, then that gets blown out of the water, that forecast. Right, because right. you have a, you could have above average rainfall very easily. So just like how that, that winter, that, that cold in February blew that forecast out right. of the water, you could have a tropical system just completely ruin the the uh, summer outlook. Yeah, but that's, it, those are the things we're looking at.
2: Just an overriding force of nature that, that takes away any pattern that was there before, right? Is that kind of a way to look at right. it?
3: Yeah. It's just one of those, like, one of those things that mother, you just can't forecast. Right. I mean, there's nobody that sat there in last November or October and said, boy, February, we're going to have a generational cold snap.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's
3: just just right. don't do that.
2: Right. Is there any other region of the country you can look to as a guide to what may be coming here? Or is that just irrelevant and we're our own thing here in Arkansas? No,
3: you're, you're exactly right. We, we do look at other areas of the country. And uh, I look at what what's happening out in the western United mm-hmm. States and Texas, uh, where they've had persistent drought, um, and that's the, those are the areas where you look for the extreme heat to build first because drought breeds heat because the sun evaporates the the moisture in yeah. soil and heats the earth. It's kind of a feedback where it just kind of feeds back on, it, on itself and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter over time. So I'd expect the drought to continue in the western United States and for heat to be centered there for the first part of summer the question is how far east is that going to expand into the mid to late summer it could expand further into arkansas but there's there are signs though that texas which has had drought conditions has seen some improvement with rain and the expected rain through the rest of may they may see an improvement in drought conditions which is good for us to avoid early season, extreme, extreme heat.
2: That is so interesting. Uh, You, you mentioned a little bit about tropical weather Uh, in terms of severe weather chances. Can you glean anything from what you've just told us about our tornado chances and things like that?
3: Well, you can have tornadoes any month of the year in Arkansas. Obviously our primary season is March, April, and May. And at the time we're talking here, uh, so far this, this, uh, year we've had 15 tornadoes in Arkansas average on a yearly basis is 33. So it really hasn't that been that mm-hmm. it hasn't been low and it's about right where we should be for in terms of tornadoes. I wish we were at zero, but you know, it's going to happen. Uh, but the severe weather chances, at least your primary severe weather season is going to be ending soon. Uh, but I also want to also point out that our two biggest Tornado outbreaks did not occur in meteorological spring. Uh, January of 1999. Remember it well. Yes, yeah. you do. Uh, that was the, the biggest tornado outbreak in, in recorded state history. And I always get the year mixed up here. But it was June in the 19-teens, around 1916, I think.
2: Don't remember that
3: one. Uh, no, you don't. I, I I think Ned Permy might, though. Um <laughs> I'm just joking. Just joking if that's listening. Uh, But that was the second biggest tornado outbreak. And that's outside of our primary severe weather season. So it can happen anytime. I I will say that our chances are going to rapidly decrease here by the end of May. But you always have to keep that in the back of your mind going into the summer months.
2: Todd, I cannot thank you enough for uh, taking some time to, to talk weather with us here on the AgCast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Have you done any fishing at all before I let you go? Uh,
3: not as much as I'd like. I yeah. want I, if I fish, it's on the Little Red River for trout, and I just haven't been able to get there lately. I still got to get a hole in my waders patched, uh, so I'll do that. But uh, yeah, it's it, I love fishing here in Arkansas, especially trout fishing. It's it's uh, it definitely takes the edge off of any stress, but Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. You you start talking to me about weather, Steve, and I won't stop.
2: Uh, I I enjoyed every minute of it. I truly did, Uh, and I hope maybe we can have you back again sometime because uh, it's been an absolute delight catching up with an old friend and and talking about what your passion is. Thanks, now let me
3: brag on you for just a second. One of the best. They'll cut this part out.
2: They'll cut this part out. Don't
3: don't edit this out. You're you're one. You're no. I'm not going to say one of. You are the best storyteller that I can ever think of knowing in, in this business. And uh, it, it's just, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you and catch up with
2: you. Well, you're, you're very kind for overstating that. I I, I really ap- appreciate that. That's, that's very nice. I don't think there's many people who are going to buy that, but thank you. Anyhow.
3: <laughs> they will. They will.
2: <laughs> Todd, good to talk to you. Thank you. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks for listening to the AgCast, everybody. I'm Steve Powell.
1: Next, Ken Moore spoke with Amanda Williams, Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Program Director, and Janelle Mason, Executive Director of Ronald McDonald House Charities. This week, the committee and staff of Ronald McDonald House marked the 25th anniversary of a special partnership between the Women's Leadership Committee and Ronald McDonald House with a celebratory event and the announcement of a new donation.
0: I'm Ken Moore, and I am very, very excited on this edition of AgCast to be visiting right now with Amanda Williams. Amanda is on our Arkansas Farm Bureau staff, and she is a she's director of the Arkansas Farm Bureau Foundation, but also is the staff director, if you will, of the Women's Leadership Committee. And we're also going to be visiting with uh, Janelle Mason. And Janelle is executive director of Ronald McDonald House Charities. And she is also a previous member of the board of directors there. And uh, Janelle, thank you for joining us today.
4: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be visiting with you all and, and talking about 25 years.
0: It is exciting. We had a special a commemorative event at the Ronald McDonald House in downtown Little Rock uh, yesterday uh, as members of our current Women's Leadership Committee and a former chair, Amanda, of Mm -hmm. our Women's Leadership Committee from back in the late 1990s, Regina Coleman, joined us with uh, Janelle and other members of the Ronald McDonald House to celebrate and commemorate this 25-year anniversary I was involved in the very first one of those food donations back in the late 1990s when we would deliver food and fill up their uh, uh, little lounge there, their, their break room, and, and just fill it up with uh, food items that the Women's Committee donated back then. And uh, so just talk about, from your perspective, you weren't with us at the time in the late 90s, but what this event yesterday really meant and our relationship going forward with Ronald McDonald House.
5: Um, So, as you said, um, this is our 25th year partnership with the Ronald McDonald House. Um, That partnership began in 1996. Um, It started as a um, a program from American Farm Bureau that they pushed out through the state women's committees. And Arkansas jumped on board with that, and we haven't stopped since. Um, In the early years, it did um, correspond, our food donations would correspond with um, what was referred to as the food checkout week that happened at the end of, um, close to the end of February each year, and our f- donations at that time were food donations. We would pack a um, cargo trailer full of non-perishable food items and take those to the house and uh, make that donation, and it was quite a quite an event, and um, to see all of that food being donated um, in recent years we have moved to a monetary donation to them um, with the house staff they are able to purchase food through um, food vendors now so um, those monetary donations help them to purchase food through those um, vendors that they have available to them now um, as well as other needs that they may have there at the house and for the residents that are staying there so um, 25 years it's it's been a exciting time and we look forward to to many more years with them
0: and it just speaks, I think, to the benevolence of Arkansas Farm Bureau as an organization, uh, to an organization like the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Uh, but also, it draws attention to the abundance of our food supply and what our farmers and ranchers do to provide food for all Americans.
5: That's right. Um, you know, we do um, provide the most abundant and most affordable food um here in the United States. And so it was a natural fit for, um, Arkansas Farm Bureau to be partnering with, um, an organization such as the Ronald McDonald house and providing food for those residents. Um, it just aligns with our mission as well as, um, helping those that are in need at that time.
0: And I'm glad you uh, referenced the original food checkout week because that was a national women's leadership committee activity as you said in february back in the day no longer exists we've kind of transitioned to these monetary donations now and i don't even think every state farm bureau participates in this anymore but it was so important our relationship with ronald mcdonald house that as you became the head of our women's leadership committee and work with them annually to keep this project going
5: yes definitely um you know One of our main goals with the Women's Leadership Committee, um, whether it's on our state committee or or the county committees, is that community outreach, that community service, and um, the Ronald McDonald House here in Little Rock is is a service that is for all our Kansans as well as those from other states. Um, They even have had um, residents from other countries as well, but it's it's just a very fitting thing for us to do, um, providing that food and that community service.
0: Janelle, we're going to bring you in right now, and please explain for the benefit of our listeners who may not be aware, uh, but uh, exactly the uh, service that you provide the families of the children uh, who are receiving treatment at Arkansas Children's Hospital, why Ronald McDonald House exists and why it's so necessary.
4: Thank you, and um, I'm just grinning from ear to ear. I'm so excited about this. Ronald McDonald House provides a home away from home for families whose children have been sent to Little Rock for life-saving medical care. Um, So you can imagine you have rush your child to the emergency room in the middle of the night and find out that your child's got to be med-flighted to Little Rock. You literally grab your keys, hop in your car, and drive to Little Rock. You don't have anything with you. You're unprepared. Um, So that is where Ronald McDonald House comes in. We uh, have 32 rooms in the Ronald McDonald House. They're beautiful suites uh, that give them a place to rest and recover. We have meals thanks to generous partners like Arkansas Farm Bureau and the Women's Leadership Committee. Um, and then we have activities and, um, and things for families to do, staying together, so that they can have some sense of normalcy in the middle of a crisis for their child. Um, we exist solely on donations. So thinking about the many years of uh, the trailer pulling up to the old house, and bringing all of the supplies in that are were so needed um, it, it's just it makes my heart swell to think about that and of course now with the financial donation um, it actually like you said it gives us more bang for our buck we're able to purchase items at a lower cost through our partner food suppliers and storage is always a big deal. So imagine finding <laughs> yeah. a place to store a trailer full of, um, goods and supplies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it really, it, it's just amazing. And, and, uh, that check that you all presented yesterday, yesterday was, you know, another sign of that partnership. It's just amazing. Amazing.
0: Let's go back, uh, just a year ago. Uh, to when COVID broke out and everything changed for all of us. Uh, uh, how did that affect uh, your donations? That Because I know you a- have an annual ball. That's your major annual fundraiser. And I don't believe you were able to have that, or if you did, it wasn't an in-person event. And, and your donations uh, all of a sudden kind of became very, very limited. But Arkansas Farm Bureau knew that uh, you had an extra special need. And talk about that.
4: Yes, we were fortunate to have Chocolate Fantasy Ball because it's in February, but I will tell you the uh, donations came to a screeching halt when life changed for all of us. Um, our focus, our personal focus went internally into our families and how we would move forward. Uh, people were not thinking about donating, and when Amanda called to tell me she had some news. Um, you cannot imagine. We have these good news bells in our in our office. They're little red cowbells. And we I rang mine. We always, that's a sign that there's somebody has good news. And I think I might have kind of lost it because I was ringing it so loud and everybody came running. Um, it was really, really exciting uh, to find out that, Uh, You all were donating uh, $50,000 to us. Uh, It it just lifted a lot of worry from us, much like you know Ronald McDonald House lifts worry from families. So uh, it it was a year and right after COVID hit, um, many of our other events were canceled. And we had an anticipated $500,000 loss for the rest mm. of the year. Wow. So that was, it was huge. And then I'm just going to go ahead and spill the beans. Go you know, ahead. A, few months, a few months later, y'all gave us another $50,000 making that $100,000. So um, that was uh, a large portion of our annual budget that was replaced thanks to the generosity of Arkansas Farm Bureau and the Women's Leadership Committee.
0: Amanda, uh, share your thoughts on, you know, how we came to do that. Our board of directors authorized this and, and you lead the foundation and that's, that's why it exists.
5: Yes. Um, so last year um, in April, um, our state board of directors for the Arkansas Farm Bureau foundation had met and um, they had agreed that the Ronald McDonald House was a great place um, for us to uh, make a donation. Um, and I had already um, had visited with Janelle about any issues that they were having and looking at the projected shortfall that they had at that time. And in April, we did not know what the rest of the year was going to hold for sure. So um, we did uh, make that initial $50,000 donation. Um, It was a partnership with our state women's leadership committee and the Arkansas Farm Bureau Foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, We stayed in contact with Janelle through the rest of the year um, looking at, um, you know, how that shortfall was – or how that was still affecting them with their um, events being canceled, their fundraising events being canceled, and just uh, donations being uh, much less than had anticipated for the year. Um, So when our um, board met again in September – they felt like that this was another um, opportunity for them to reach out to the Ronald McDonald House. And so um, the Women's Leadership um, Committee, as well as the Young Farmers and Rangers State Committee, um, partnered together to make that a second um, $50,000 donation to um, the Ronald McDonald House. And, um, again, it's just that partnership with them um, and knowing what the Ronald McDonald House um is providing for those that are in need. Um, as a mother, I can't imagine um, having a sick child, and I have been very blessed to to not have a sick child. But just knowing that somewhere like the Ronald McDonald House is available to those that do need it um, is just is heartwarming and um, is just is just a wonderful thing. And so I, I'm very passionate about um, helping with the Ronald McDonald House, and I'm so uh, grateful that both of my my duties here at Farm Bureau uh, align with um, being able to help with that organization.
0: Let's go back a few years ladies and uh, talk about how the charity, Ronald McDonald house charities was doing some fundraising and they knew they saw the need to build a new facility here because we all remember the old facility over there just across the street (laughs) from the hospital. (laughs) But now they're in this beautiful new building, this new home that Janelle described a moment ago, and we knew they needed help building that building uh, to have to house more families, to have more adequate facilities, a much larger state-of-the-art kitchen uh, and dining hall. Uh, talk about how we wanted to step up to the plate then, too.
5: So um, one of the other things, um, besides the monetary donations and those food donations that our state women's committee does, is each year um, in the fall, um, our committee goes into the house and prepares a meal for those that are staying there. Um, And they've been doing that for years. Um, 2020 was the first year that we haven't done it, Um, possibly in the 25 years. I'm not sure exactly how far that goes back um, due to COVID regulations. Um, and so whenever the new house was being built there in 2016, um, the state women's committee at the time, um, approached our state board of directors and together, um, they made a $40,000 donation, um, for a cooking station there in the new kitchen of the, of the new house. Um, and so, um, and we have got to cook in that new kitchen several times. And like you said, it is a state of the art kitchen. Um, so, so, so very big there, um and uh so very nice so it was it was a great place for us to um to help with that new
4: um, construction of the house
0: janelle what did that mean to you and the uh, board of directors
4: well arkansas farm bureau was one of the first donors to our capital campaign uh, to help us get this new house built so first of all that all in at the beginning added momentum to our campaign and of course it was so such a meaningful gift because Arkansas Farm Bureau has been there to cook meals they know what it's like for a family to walk in after a long day at the hospital and you know being faced with with cooking a meal I mean that's just impossible so um it was really a a heartfelt gift and very um significant. Uh, we have, as you all know, we've got two huge eight burner uh, commercial ranges with grill in the middle. I mean, it is a fa- it, I think our kitchen and dining room are about 4,000 square feet. So we can see 80 people in that dining room. So we have two huge uh, cooking stations. We do not have a sponsor for the other one. If anybody wants to donate 40,000 to sponsor that, anybody listening today but um, uh, we have had guest chefs in from Little Rock from some of the finest restaurants and when they see that cooking station they are just blown away by that so so that's really special and and you know our staff is um, so dedicated and to know the partnership Supported that cooking station. It means a lot to us personally, as we know a lot of the people that come and cook from Arkansas Farm Bureau. So, um, and and it's it's just so meaningful. And I think that when families come into the house and they see that plaque at the cooking station, you know, everybody Farm Bureau is a, a household word, household name or brand. So I think that. for me, that gives me a sense of comfort, you know, coming to Little Rock, if you're from the countryside, um, and seeing that, you know, it's just a little, I don't know how to say it, a stamp of approval that you all, you know, are part of the house in that respect also.
0: Yes, yes, thank you so much. Thank you for those kind words. Uh, Spoke yesterday with uh, just one of the residents uh that is at your house right now uh they have a three-month-old son who's receiving uh treatment at at children's hospital and they've been there for three months ever since he was born yeah, yeah. And they're from Salem springs and because of covid he was telling us they haven't been able to even go back home yet uh and so having the house there is so important for him and his family to be just across the street from where they can visit their son every day, their three month old boy. Uh, but just knowing that they do not have to worry about where their meal is going to come from and, uh, what, what you provide for them there at the house, he just expressed gratitude for that. And that's what it's all about. Isn't it? You know, they never know how long they're going to have to stay.
4: They don't. Um, you know, we have families that might be there for two nights and we have family. We just had a little, um, second heart transplant young teenager who was there for 165 nights with his mom after getting his second heart transplant, Mm. especially during COVID. You know, we implemented so many COVID safety protocols um, within our house. And of course, with our staff, um, they have some pretty strict rules to live by. Um, My biggest fear was that, you know, one of these families might, pick up something and transmit and we've been so blessed that we haven't had any uh, even suspected cases in the house Wonderful. because of our screening process but thinking about um, their little boy crews and what um, you know they're going through just like every other family in our house um, yeah it's just it's tremendous and they tell us every day you know they're over at the hospital most day most all the hours of the day and night one of them i think dad's been staying at night over at the hospital and they're always there we have assigned tables during covid we had to move the tables far apart as you saw yesterday but um they they usually when i'm leaving the office, they're sitting there at their table and I get an update on crews. So they're there having dinner and I do know it means so much to all our families.
0: Yes, indeed, yes, indeed. Well, Amanda, I know that the Women's Leadership Committee has other responsibilities and things they do through agricultural education and things like that throughout our county mm-hmm. Farm Bureau uh, organization, but uh, for the State Women's Leadership Committee, this has to be the highlight of their year.
5: It is. Um- We always, or the committee always looks forward to that fall meeting. Um, We have a state committee meeting, and then we go and cook um, dinner for the house that afternoon. Um, And that is the highlight um, of that committee's year for sure. Um, And so our new committee members that came on early last year before COVID hit, they have not got to experience that. But I've heard the, um, the older members or the previous members telling them, You will have such a good time when we go and cook for them. It just means so much to them. And um, I've only been able to participate in the cooking um, in 2019. And there was a couple of families that we got to see um, before we um, had to leave. But just seeing their faces and just seeing that relief of here's my dinner. Um, Sorry, I'm going to get choked up on that. But it is just such such a a wonderful thing that we're able to do.
0: Yeah, yes, certainly, certainly is. Well, Janelle, thank you for visiting with us again today. It's wonderful to partner with you and the staff there. And uh, it is, it's a highlight of the year. I, I kind of miss not being able to bring that trailer down anymore <laughs> and, <laughs> know, and be there with way. Ronald himself. Ronald joined us back in the day and would interact with yeah. the children that would come down and, uh, and participate in that. And uh, those are special memories. Uh, yeah. But anyway... We're going to go forward, not stopping.
4: That's right. I'm, I'm ready for 25 more. How about y'all? You got it. Most definitely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Janelle, for your time. Uh, we've been visiting with Janelle Mason, who is executive director of the Ronald McDonald House Charities here in Little Rock, and uh, Amanda Williams, who is head of our uh, Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Committee on this edition of Arkansas Adcast.
1: After sitting idle for several years due to lack of funding, construction work on the Grand Prairie Irrigation District has resumed. Plans for the project started more than 20 years ago, and now, once construction on new canals is complete, the first farmers will receive water. Ken Moore spoke with Dan Hooks, president of the Irrigation District Board of Directors,
0: following an event last week to announce resumption of work on the canals. I'm Ken Moore. Welcome to this week's edition of Arkansas AgCast. Uh, Today, I'm speaking with Dan Hooks. Dan is president of the White River Irrigation District Board of Directors. And we are going to be discussing, uh, if you will, for what I'm calling the restart or the continuation of construction on this very, very important irrigation project. Uh, Dan, thank you for joining us on AgCast this week. If you will, for the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar, uh, just give a little bit of a history of the White River Irrigation District uh, project, it it dates back uh, almost two decades now, doesn't it?
6: Well, it tracks further than two decades. But uh, in 2000, uh, we had our uh, district organized, and we voted, had the vote of the farmers and the uh, majority of the landowners, that sort of thing, and formed our irrigation district. So that officially, I suppose, it would be the the uh, starting point of the irrigation district itself, but uh, to get to that point, uh, there was probably another thirty years of uh, of uh, planning and speculating and and recognizing the need and and uh, that sort of thing to bring it all the way up to uh, actually forming a, a district and and uh, trying to actually build it and find the plant, There's there's so many steps as far as the environmental impact statements and. Uh, studies to be done in I uh, uh, see it was a groundwater study I forget how, how the name of it went but uh, you, know, you had to verify the need and, and obviously the Grand Prairie and other sections of East Arkansas are in serious uh, groundwater decline as far as the alluvial aquifer so uh, from 2000 to now it's been 20 uh, years or so of um, trying to get to where we actually are today and um're uh, we're, we're excited about that which means the plans have been done the Corps of Engineers have been good over the years with uh uh the designs and uh, and, uh the pump station was, was has been under construction on the White River Duval's Bluff for several years and we've got uh, I'll give you a little background of where the construction is to this point but uh, the core we got the pump station built, 95% built. We've got two 10-foot diameter pipes that run about a mile and a half across uh, the prairie to what we call the, um, uh, well, it's a reservoir, 100-acre reservoir that takes the turbulence out of the water and then a gate structure that uh, sends it into the canals, uh, main canal to uh, take the water south all the way toward the width, actually. Um, so the the reservoirs built, the uh, gate structures built, uh, the pump stations are ninety-five percent built. We're all we need is a delivery system now to uh, to bring the water to the farmers and, and actually join the business. So that brings us to um, the section we're on header uh, we call it Friday <coughs> excuse me. Um we are taking a, the connect, building the canal from the reservoir about uh, two miles to Highway 70 between Hayden and DeVos Bluff. Uh, small section, uh, about $11 million, I believe, is the, the uh, number of, uh, for the work and the land rights acquisition, that sort of thing. Um, I'll back up now two years ago. We were pretty much on life support, I guess you'd call it. We'd been treading water all these years. Whenever uh, Congress did away with the earmark part of of their uh, funding process, it kind of left the Corps of Engineers high and dry with where they were gonna get money to uh, continue our project. So we've been starved for for cash all this time. Uh, I think the Colonel last Friday, Use the number two hundred million dollars has already been spent on this project of um, cost share money, core federal money, and state money. Uh, So there's been a big investment already, and the hard part has been done. uh, The major construction. The the rest of it is uh, pretty much what we see on our farms as far as canals and pipelines. Farmers are well uh, have a have a good understanding of. Tailwater recovery systems and reservoirs and underground pipe and uh, uh, the funding. Well, we have a partnership. Of course, it's a four-way partnership: the Corps of Engineers, our irrigation district, and uh, uh, state of Arkansas. We've added a fourth partner uh, recently, which is the NRCS, who has brought some money to the table for us. Um, we sat down and said, you know, our canals and pipelines are just a larger scale of what we actually do on the farm with tailwater recovery pits. So we're just going to stack a bunch of these in end and ask the NRCS, uh, can you help us out with this and find a way? And they did. So uh, that's where our funding is right now on a limited uh, basis. It's going to take us pretty good ways down the road. We think we're going to get halfway to Carlisle uh, with the funding that we have um, so this first section uh, back up in history again we had we had uh, um I won't say naysayers but the the people that looked out for the best interest of the taxpayers and all that said I don't see how y'all are going to do this you know you can't you can't afford this it's gotten too expensive and we agreed um so we pretty much said, This is do-or-die time. We're either going to do it or we're going to to throw up our hands and say, we can't do this. And uh, investment was too much. The need is too great. Um, So we persisted and carved out a small section of of the uh, overall plan, which is where we are now, this this first two and a half or two miles or so, to demonstrate that... uh, our, our engineering, our design, our cost ex- estimates are on track uh, that uh, we, we said we've got to do things different than what uh, business as usual has been. Uh, we divided, uh, said our core principle is that this thing has got to be affordable to farmers.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: And yes. if we're not affordable, we're out of business. Uh, so... Uh, we we, we uh, had, to, had to bring in what we would call farmer engineering. We had to operate just like we do on farms. We we had to find a way to cut costs and not cut the quality of, of our product. And um, so anyway, this small section, we, we said, let us do this. Let's do this small section, and we'll find out what it's going to cost. Um, so uh, bids came in. We had, we had a good series of bids, of course. We had our own cost projection, a range of where we thought the price would come in, and it did. So, so far, so good. We're 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 under budget or on budget, and only th- only thing we're behind on is is time management and the methodology of putting dollars into dirt into dirt movement. Um, all the reviews and uh, uh, the bid. Processes and all the hoops that we have to jump through is uh is our next obstacle. We've got to streamline the process to allow us to go from one small section to the next small section to the next small section. And and uh as one is completed and the plans are done, and if we've got money in the hand, we need our we need to get we need to get the money spent. The way the way we're doing, we don't know the <laughs> we don't know if we can spend the money fast enough because the <laughs> the delays for the reviews that everybody wants to do to make sure we're doing, doing what we need to do and that sort of thing. But, uh, it's kind of a, since it is the same repetition, I use that term cookie cutter, you know, you build one dollar store uh, and the next one's just like it and um, with a few modifications. Well, we need to put this little thing here in place and that's different from the last section, but basically it's the same thing and uh, we need to we need to figure out a way to uh, to use the plans and continue to to stack them and keep keep the construction on on a uh, a uh, schedule that will, will get us down the road within a time frame that we need to get there.
0: Wow! Thank you for that uh, excellent explanation of the history of the project and kind of where we are right now, and uh, because and and I was wondering you referenced and used the term a couple of years ago you were almost on life support uh you hate to build a pump station you you hate to build a reservoir and get all of this infrastructure in place and then just let it sit there without you know being able to complete the project due to lack of funding but now you have this money to build these canals uh and so just you know for the benefit of again our our listeners to uh to our conversation today this is vital that this project be completed uh the colonel mentioned you said 200 million dollars already invested in this it must be completed uh, isn't it that true uh to start delivering water from the white river to these farms because we've got to take pressure off the aquifer well,
6: that's true and and when you get away from the the uh land that's I'll call it adjacent, to, but closer to the river. The river recharges the sands mm-hmm. and the aquifer, but you get away toward Hazen and then turn into oh, Carlisle, actually, um, and then turn south towards Slow Rock and Stuttgart and all. Uh, there is very little alluvial uh, aquifer left that is usable. That uh, There are still serviceable wells, but there are, the energy costs and the amount of water that uh, they produce is just minimal. So the farmers have gone deeper into the sparta, and um, that's the municipal and industrial water. And I and I think farmers are like fourth on the priority list for sparta water. But uh, it's a it's a it is a limited resource as far as longevity. We can't take water out of the sparta forever. It's just like the alluvial. It's a declining resource. And it's vital to the municipalities in the countryside for uh, for our drinking water. So we understand that, but right now there's no other choice. Um, and here we go. This uh, our White River is passing by every day. Somebody said, "Oh, but what do you do when it's low?" And one of my neighbors said years ago, "He says go down there when it's when you think it's too low, and put a, throw a stick in the water." And he said that that water is still going south you know and it's passing us right by and and if we can capture that and bring it to, bring it to the farms uh, it, it's going to provide sustainability and and uh, a, we think it, well we're still saying economical source. Uh, the cost of pumping the farm just in energy cost is is prohibitive to many many farmers uh, just in the fuel cost to bring it to the surface.
0: Well, you know, the climate is what it is. The weather patterns have somewhat changed. Thank goodness. We have not experienced drought conditions, uh, in the recent years. Uh, and so we have adequate rainfall. In fact, the white river more often than not, I think over the last three to four years has been in some uh, situation of flood stage, uh, it's running high. There's plenty of water in the river because of adequate rainfall. Uh, and so that's good news because. Farmers don't have to irrigate quite as much uh, right now, potentially, but uh, it's still, we, ne- we need to have this surface water uh, option, don't we, Dan, so that the farmers, when the weather does turn dry, they don't have to pump as much from underground.
6: That's true. You can call it insurance, you can call it whatever you want, but I, I, it's kind of reversed. I think either, whatever irrigation system today that farmers have will be their insurance policy. Um, we think this, think our irrigation district will be the main source of, of the irrigation. But whatever you have today is still going to be there for uh, when the river is low or that, that extreme drought or whatever, and, and we can't keep up. But um, uh, something like 90, eighty-five to ninety percent of the time, uh, we'll, we history says we'll have water from the river. Um, it's not also only about rice farming. Uh, yes, we're the rice capital of the world, and and uh, produce more rice than any state in the country, and export half the rice we produce goes overseas. Um, it's more, it's it's so uh, it's irrigated agriculture. We can't raise soybeans without irrigation. We can't raise corn. And 20 years ago, when we started this district, I'm not going to say there was no corn on farms here, but there wasn't very much. Here. Was. I don't have that number, but the corn acres have expanded uh, and gotten into the rotation because um, it it makes good, it's a good soil builder for the next year that you grow soybeans. So, farmers are trying to stretch their stretch their dollars in their rotation, and now it's uh, input cost, and uh, corn prices are high, and that sort of thing. Um, so, so, it's irrigated agriculture in general. And we can't be dry farmers uh, it, uh, that would be that would be just a direst uh, situation for us.
0: So now that you're going to start construction on this uh, these canals uh, give us a timeline about how long that project will take now that you're moving dirt again finally and and when how much longer into the future if you get the funding you need will it be before the white River irrigation project is complete?
6: um the section we're working on has um I believe it was 16 months is what our projection was uh to complete it but um our contractor uh at the groundbreaking I heard this number before and it was kind of scratched my head going man these guys are going to go to work um he said they're looking for about seven or eight months of good weather to uh to get done. Which is half the time. Um, six hundred thousand yards of dirt, I believe, is what's required, and that's uh that's what uh Derek construction says that they they can do. So we're excited about that. It's gonna be really something to uh, to uh actually see the equipment in action and all that because uh to do what they say they're gonna do, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of uh moving going on over there. Uh the next sections We're we're, we're on like a a two-and-a-half-year schedule to use the money that we have in hand. As far as completion of the project, that's a little cloudy as to the continuation. If if we're able to continue these funding sources, uh, the uh, uh, news that you hear every day about the federal government, the infrastructure and all that, you know, we're obviously a real infrastructure project, and um, we hope our delegation is able to uh, direct some of that funding down here to us. Uh, other than that, it's—I uh, don't have a crystal ball, so uh, we're going to go one usable section at a time. And uh, uh, the term cash flow—we're we're, not—we're not doing this on on money that's given to us. Uh, the, the the cost match dollars is coming from loans from the state of Arkansas and and uh, we need to be able to uh, generate income from the farmers to to pay that to pay those loans off one day.
0: So I guess once these canals that are going to be built right now, uh, like you say, in less than a year's time, good weather permitting, uh, some farmers will start receiving water delivered to them. Before others, I guess is there kind of a priority list of farmers who who will start getting water sooner than the others that are going to benefit long term.
6: The only priority list would be the farmers that are in this first section of okay. The canal. Okay. And there are there are uh, I'm thinking four big structures downstream in the canal, so it's not just one open free flowing canal. There'll be a uh, a, a check structure, we call it a gate system, uh, which is our target. That's where halfway between Hazen and Carlisle is one of those structures, and that's our target to get there because we have to be able to uh, hold the water in that canal section and then uh, uh, disperse it through the pipelines and the structures to take the water out of the canal and send it to the pipe. So if you're in that in that construction section. Uh, that's your priority, uh, the guy that's below it, maybe your neighbor, but he's, he's downstream of the end of that construction section. Well, He'll have to wait for the next, the next, uh, contract. So mm-hmm. as it comes online, we're going to put it into, into use.
0: Well, I look forward to, uh, and I know those of us, uh, who've been, uh, helping follow this project. From the very beginning, I remember the day a number of years back when I was with Mr. Tommy Hillman on the Banks of the White, and he was talking about starting construction on that pump station over there by DeValls Bluff. It's exciting for me to see, you know, us get to this point today. And uh, when you get ready, those canals get built, it'll be a great day just to kind of have a ribbon cutting and turn that switch, whatever you got to do, open those pumps and uh, start letting that water flow.
6: We have to put put a load of sand on the on the top of the levee over there at uh, that reservoir to uh, to sit on the beach and watch that thing fill up. It's going it, to be
0: something. That's, yeah, it will it's, be. There's a lot of
6: water that's going to move into that
0: reservoir. That'll be but, exciting, yeah. Dan. That'll be great. Well, listen, thank you so much. Uh, one final comment. Talk about how your project is kind of what I call a companion project to the Biomeda project because the pressure on the aquifers is real, and the Biomita project, as we've reported on in the past, will help pull the water out of the Arkansas River to other parts of the Grand Prairie. So both of these projects are vital, aren't they?
6: Absolutely. Uh, yes, Biomita is uh, uh, like you say, taking their water from a different direction. Uh, they've they've had their pump station standing there uh, ready to go for some time, and. Uh, Way to understand that Their construction is to actually be able to use that pump and put some water in a usable uh, place for their farmers. And uh, we we've had a lot of a lot of history together with with uh, by, uh Gene Sullivan, that uh, has passed away a, while, a year or two ago now. Yes. He was our director at Grand Prairie and then moved over to the White River. And now uh, coincidentally, his his son Mike is the uh, NRCS uh, Poncho that has uh, is, has is been a key to um, getting the NRCS funds to to come to these uh, to be used in these projects. So the connection's real, and and uh, they're our neighbors, and and we're you know we 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 well we're not actually able to work together. You know we're, we're going different directions and uh taking care of our business. They're taking care of theirs, but. Our support for each other is there and, and uh, we wish them well at the same time. It's a, we want to be first. We want to, we want to get to the finish line and uh, to have a race. And uh, if we are building the transcontinental railroad and whoever's going to get to that flag first is what we want to do, you know. But in a sense, it is, it's a venture similar to that railroad I just mentioned because mm-hmm. it's, you know, monumental task and it's, uh, there's been so many hurdles to cross and, we're not finished yet. We've, we've got, uh, as I mentioned before, we're about streamlining the process so that we can keep moving. And uh, uh, it seems like the red tape just gets tangled up sometimes.
0: Well, you've navigated through that uh, through the years, and I'm excited for you and uh, the rest of the board, all of the farmers. It was a great day to be with you uh, last week when we had that uh, great announcement about the construction resuming. And uh, hopefully both of these projects will be brought to fruition here very, very soon in the next several years. Uh, as long as the funding's there, you can move dirt, as you've said, and, uh, and start pumping water out of these two important uh, resources, the Arkansas River and, in your case, the White River. Dan, thank you so much for sharing a few minutes, and we look forward to following along with you in the years to come.
6: Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and, and I'll, I'll, I've got to say thanks to our partners so, uh, you know, the governor has been good to us and uh, the Corps and NRCS, and we need to all keep keep plugging along together and doing whatever it takes to, to, to make this thing whole. And so far, so good. We need to keep uh, thanking the Lord for the blessings we get every day for this.
0: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Thank you. We've been speaking with Dan Hooks, president of the White River Irrigation District Board of Directors on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. That's it for this week's Arkansas AgCast. Join us again next Thursday for more news and views on Arkansas
1: agriculture.